right now, we are all collectively experiencing something unprecedented in our lifetimes. Some dystopian reality that we have seen in movies and read in books has jumped out of the screen and off the page into our lives. In a matter of weeks, the world's economy has been ground to a halt and trillions of dollars of wealth have been wiped off the books. Workers have been let go or furloughed. Medical personnel are faced with the grim reality that the life they are trying to save might be the life that takes theirs. For those that do go home, They have to constantly wonder if they have infected those they love in the next room. Stadiums that should be filled with screaming fans cheering on their favorite teams are empty. Arenas where we expected to be singing along with our favorite musicians have gone silent. Grocery stores where we have always been able to access our favorite foods now don't even have basic staples like eggs and milk. Books that used to be delivered by Amazon in two days now are delayed a month. Restaurants and coffee shops that we used to gather in to enjoy a meal accompanied by friends can only deliver to our door. Buildings where churches gather should be full of life, where children should be running around and playing, where hugs and handshakes should be exchanged, and where songs should be sung to the glory of their Creator and sermons preached to the glory of God are simply what they are. Buildings. Cold, dead, and lifeless. All of this has been brought about by something none of us can see with the naked eye. A virus we have labeled COVID-19. As of this recording, it has been reported that over one million people have been infected worldwide, with a quarter of those being in the United States. Over 50,000 people have died worldwide, with over 10% of those being within our own borders. Some say we are at the peak. Some say the worst is yet to come. Infection rates, death rates, and unemployment rates fill our news feeds in whatever way we choose to receive them. Today, the nervousness, anxiety, and worry that we all feel will seemingly only be multiplied by tomorrow and the days ahead. Fear has gripped the hearts of people and only squeezes harder with each article read and news report heard. These are sobering times. A few weeks ago, I preached a message that now looking back seems prophetic. The text of scripture that I used was Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27. From this passage where Jesus encourages us to build our lives upon the solid rock of His Word, rather than the shifting sands of this world, I pointed out what many people overlook in this story. The storm hits both houses. The storm hits the house of the righteous and the unrighteous alike. 
Little did I know that the storm that was about to assail the world like a mighty tempest was moving so small that it could only be seen by a microscope. Storms by nature produce fear. The greater the storm, the greater the fear. But it's not just the size and magnitude of the storm that produces fear. Our exposure to the storm greatly minimizes or multiplies our fear in relation to the storm's size. That's why I think Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 is a great place to start today's sermon titled, Christ Over Fear. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples in this moment. Before this moment on the Sea of Galilee, things were going incredibly well for the disciples. These young men who had been living normal everyday lives have Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, come to them and call them into His group. He says, come and follow me, and they do. And as they walk around, they see Jesus preach the words of life. They hear the one who is fully man and fully God speaking the greatest words human ears have ever heard. They see men who are paralyzed walk. They see those who are blind able to see. They see the deaf able to hear. They see self-righteous religious people put into their place. They are in constant amazement at this one, and they are amazed at everything that is taking place. And then one day, as they had probably done hundreds of times, having grown up around the Sea of Galilee, several of them from fishing families growing up on the Sea of Galilee, got into a boat. And in this boat, arises a great storm. Around this boat, a great storm begins to toss it to and fro, and the entire time, Jesus is asleep on the boat. They're freaking out. They're running around saying, Jesus, please come and help us. And the thing that Jesus says to them is, where's your faith? Oh, by the way, storm, peace, be still. And the same creation that he spoke 
into existence obeys just as easily when it appeared from nothing. In that moment, their fear moves from the storm that surrounds them to fear of Jesus Himself. Right now, we are all in a storm. Right now, we are in a storm that is causing fear throughout the world. We have fear about tomorrow. As I have spoken to many of you over the last several weeks, you have expressed that fear to me. PhD students are fearful about tomorrow when it comes to their grants and to their timelines. Students and soon-to-be graduates are fearful if there will be jobs available in the coming days. Those in the workforce are wondering if they will be laid off or furloughed. People are worried about paying rent or their mortgage. People also have fear around those that they love. People who are deemed essential workers are wondering if today is going to be the day that they come in contact with someone who makes them sick. Doctors, nurses, first responders, grocery store employees, all over this world, people are having to go to work with a fear for their own health and survival. People are even fearful about toilet paper. Now, I say this to be on one hand serious, but on the other hand, lighthearted. Because let's be honest, when at any point in your existence on planet Earth, before quarantine with COVID-19, did you ever or did you ever hear anyone ask the question, what will happen if we run out of toilet paper? No one has ever asked that question because it wasn't even in the realm of possibilities. But now people are lining up before stores open each and every morning to attempt to be the first one in the store to get toilet paper. Though small on the scale of what is happening, the, the image that has been so Relevant in my mind up to this point are the empty shelves in the grocery store. For 43 years, I have gone to the grocery store probably thousands of times. Every shelf has been full every time. But now, things that we, that I have taken for granted all these years, are nowhere to be seen on these shelves. So if we begin to categorize our fear, what we are feeling, what, what other people are feeling in this time, we can break these categories down to begin to identify these to help us by thinking about tomorrow. I encourage you to write down what it is you are fearful about when it comes to tomorrow. The other category is health. Where are you nervous or scared for your own life or for the well-being of others? Many are concerned and scared about survival. For many, it will not be the virus that kills them, 
but it will be the wrecking of the economy that does so. Because right now, there are nations and countries who do not have the infrastructure that we do, where food is already beginning to run out. Another category that we can find fear in in this moment is that of our hopes and our dreams. The Bible tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Right now, there are many hopes and many dreams that are teetering on the brink of falling into an abyss. And people have incredible fear. It is helpful in this time to name and to identify our fear. And as we identify our fear, we also need to ask what it is that God, what, that God might be saying to us in the midst of this fear that is appearing. One author that I came across this week said, God is saying, the world you are living in is not as secure as you think it is. And you need to rethink the foundations that you have. And so I think if we look at those four categories of fear and other categories that you might think of and that you might have, I think if you really look at it and you would, and you would identify what is causing you fear, why you have fear in this moment, it is because this virus is shaking the very foundations of everything you and I have found security in in this life. It is shaking the foundations of the things that we love and that we cherish the most. It is shaking the foundations of our future hopes and dreams as we try to imagine a world on the other side of this quarantine. And so as we do that, there are two ideas I want to introduce to us at this moment. The idea of conviction and the idea of comfort. When it comes to the idea of conviction, I think one of the things that we need to look square in the eye and stare it down and meditate on it and then confess and repent of our sin to God can be found in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in writing his letter to the early church, says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. I wrote a, a long post on Facebook a couple of weeks ago on these verses and on this topic. And it was interesting 
Because as I have looked at everything that's been said in the media, by, especially by believers, I haven't seen anyone address this passage. But I think this passage is as relevant to us as the body of Christ as any passage is in the Bible at this moment. Because let's be honest, if we go back to a month ago in our own lives, did any of us ever imagine a world where now we would have been in shelter in place, staying at home, quarantined, socially distant from our friends and families for three weeks now? No, not a single person could imagine that reality. We regularly boasted that we were going to go on spring break. We boasted about what we were going to do on spring break. We boasted about the weddings that we were going to attend, the beaches that we were going to go to, the parties that we were going to go to, the amount of money we were going to have in our paycheck, what we were going to do when we graduated from college, on and on and on. We proclaimed all the things that we were going to do tomorrow. And now none of us is doing any of those things. because. 8 billion people have been ground to a halt over something we can't see. Might this not this passage speak incredibly to us when it says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And notice what he says, all such boasting is evil. Now think about that. We would call murder evil. We would call abortion evil. We would call rape evil. We would call stealing evil. But proclaiming with what? what proclaiming what we're going to do tomorrow without qualifying it by saying, if the Lord wills it, have you ever heard anyone say that is evil? The Scriptures do. Might we be greatly convicted of our own arrogance when we proclaim what it is we are going to do? Apart from saying, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. In verse 17, which so often gets thrown around out of context in so many ways, says, So ever who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. We will use this for all other categories in the world, except for the one that it's, ever, that it's being talked about, except for the one that it's actually in the context of, boasting about what we will do tomorrow. May we be utterly convicted for the rest of our days on this earth that we do not have near the control over our lives that we think we do. That the only one who determines what we will do tomorrow is the Lord our God. From conviction, we move to conviction and comfort. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke, the 12th chapter, verses 4 through 7. In Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 7, Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. 
Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. It should be convicting to us what Jesus says, but this should also be of incredible comfort to us. We are commanded to not fear this world. But yet we are also commanded to fear God. And what we learn about fear in this passage from the Lord Jesus Himself is that fear is not something to actually be done away with and tossed aside. No, fear should actually be embraced and be seen as a regular part of our walk with Jesus. Fear is not to be thrown away, but fear is to be managed. And if I was going to intensify that, I would say fear is to be focused. According to Jesus, your fear is to be focused. And and this is repeated on the pages throughout Scripture. I saw something the other day that says, In the Bible, the phrase, Do not fear or be not afraid, appears 365 times in Scripture. That's 365 times you and I are commanded, do not fear anything in this world. But on the flip side, regularly we are told to fear God. We are told that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We are told Do not fear anything except fear God. Fear is to be focused in its right place. And the fear of God that that we are called to manifest is one of reverence, of awe, and of adoration just like in the last passage that I spoke of. How in awe should we be of this God who controls our tomorrow? We cannot determine tomorrow. We should not be fearful at all about tomorrow. Why? Because God is in control of our tomorrow. Jesus has told us right here, remember church, Even the sparrows are remembered by God. God doesn't forget a single animal alive. God knows every hair on your head. You are of more value than any other creature on this earth. You are a chosen child of the King. So do not fear anything in this world except God alone. And if we would learn to fear God and to focus our fear upon God, then we will find strength for the day. We will find that His mercies are truly new every morning. I now want to give us some tools in our toolbox to face our fear, to focus our fear, 
that in these moments in the coming days when we are isolated from people and can't access people in ways that we normally can, that we would turn to certain passages of Scripture scripture, to focus our fear on the great and the wonderful awe and majesty of God Himself so that we can put our lives in the proper perspectives so that we can live how God is calling us to live in this day, so that we can be salt and light to a world around us whose foundations are shaken because their foundation was money. Their foundation was tomorrow. Their foundation was their health. And if that goes, then they will truly be without hope in this world. But even if all of that is stripped away from us today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives, we can rest comfortably knowing that God has called us His children. This virus is a wake-up call to the world. For most of the history of the church, people have not gone to church to be made happy, to hear great and wonderful positive things said about them. If you look at the history of the church, most people have actually gone to church to have their miseries explained to them. And I know this sounds incredibly foreign to our American ears in this day and age. But this is a wake-up call to how fragile life and our existence is. This is a wake-up call to how fragile our comfort and convenience in this life is. And may we use it to fear God and to remember Him and to put our lives in a proper perspective, to orient them correctly, to be salt and light to a dark and dying world. One of the first things that we must do and realize in this day and time is to realize we are not in control. But Jesus is. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 proclaims this. Whenever I am feeling shaken, this is always my go-to verse. Starting in the second half of the verse, the author of Hebrews tells us, Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. church. You and I can find incredible comfort in this time because Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has suffered on our behalf. We do not call him the King of kings and Lord of lords for nothing. It is not an empty title. The fact that he 
died for our sins, was buried, and was raised to new life. And now the Scriptures say in Hebrews 1-4, He now sits on His throne in heaven. Should be of great comfort to us, the chosen children of the King. Because the Scriptures proclaim He is in absolute control. You want to know when this virus will end? When Jesus deems it so. You want to know when the markets will correct themselves and the world will get back to the way it was if it ever does? When Jesus deems it so. Because the Scriptures declare to us nothing is outside of His control. In this storm, In Mark chapter 4, Jesus asked the disciples this question, Where is your faith? In this moment, is your faith in the one who is in complete control of COVID-19 and everything going on in the world? Something else that can help you and I to focus our fear in this time is Romans 8, 28 and 29. For you, the children of God, should take great comfort in what Paul says in this letter to the church in Rome. And we, the children of God, know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He formed new, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Church, this will work for our good. God will use this to conform us more to the image of Jesus. God is using this to mold us and to shape us, to help us let go of the things of this world which we so tightly hold on to, believing they are ours. And He is showing us just how shaky the foundations of these material objects are. And how secure and control He is uh, uh, in this universe. Everything is working together for our good. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He is conforming us to the image of His Son. Church, take great comfort in knowing that every one of your days was numbered before one of them came into existence. This is why you do not have to fear anything. God wrote the number of your days before you breathed your first breath. If this virus or anything else pertaining to this virus takes your life in this time, God deemed it so before you were ever born. So therefore, you do not have to fear. Therefore, you can face each day with courage living a life that brings honor and glory to God, praising Him that He is working all of this out for your good. Another tool that you can put into your toolbox in this time is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. If you find yourself full of fear in this moment, 
know that 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, I find is one of the most helpful verses, especially in times of trial and suffering. Because it tells us, as it tells us in other places of Scripture, for example, like Romans 5, 1 through 5, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's easy to rejoice on the day of graduation. It's easy to rejoice when we get a raise, when we get our first paycheck. It's easy to rejoice when life is going well and say, God, thank you for this filet mignon steak dinner that I'm about to eat. But how have you been at obeying the commandment to rejoice in the midst of your quarantine? For when we rejoice in our trials and our sufferings, it makes us truly grateful and truly thankful for who God is and for what He has done for us. For church, if God strips everything from us in the coming days, we can still rejoice because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can rejoice that we have been reminded how temporary this life is. We can rejoice because God has shown us how we are holding on to the things of this world too tightly. We can rejoice in the time spent with family. We can rejoice in the coming days that will that we'll be here one day to when we can hug our friends again and hold their hand and walk with them and dine with them and eat with them. We can rejoice in all that God has done for us. Surely we can pray without ceasing in this time. And may we all give thanks for each and every breath that we draw. For none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And one last passage is Philippians 4, 6-7. through Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of the most comforting verses in Scripture for believers. That even in the midst of this, Paul was writing from a jail cell. And he said, don't be anxious. Pray to God. Let Him know your request. And if you do, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. For there will be times when your enemy comes to attack you. There will be times you will be attacked by the servants of Satan. There are times that you will, they will attack you through your newsfeed, through the social media channels that you get, the articles that you read that will induce fear. May they be a reminder to you. In that moment, thank them. Say, thank you for reminding me that I need to focus my fear not on these things, but on God Himself. For God will uphold me with His righteous right. And Satan, there is nothing that you can do to me to scare me because God is in control of every single one of my moments in this life. So therefore, I will face the, de- face the day not with fear, but in faith. For God is my God 
and Jesus is my Lord. So as I close this message, let me expand upon the title that I gave you at first, Christ Over Fear. Let me expand that title to these words that I think will help you in the coming days. Fear Christ over fear of the world. Let's pray. Father, what a sobering reminder these days are. We think that we are in control. We think that we have power. We think that we have the ability to determine where we go and what we do. But your word reminds us that you are the only one who holds our tomorrow. May we be in awe of a God like that. May we be in awe of a God who lives outside of time and space. A God who fully surrounds this timeline that we walk on in this life. That can experience and see every day from the past to the present to the future all at once, knowing that you hold every moment in your hand. Oh God, may that give us great courage to face the world that we walk into today, this world that we never imagined would actually happen to us. May we turn our fear of this world and our circumstances into fear of you. And may that fear produce a faith that is enduring, that is long-suffering, and that can rejoice in its sufferings of knowing that one day you will wipe this world clean and you will make it new. That the groaning that this world is currently experiencing will one day, in the blink of an eye, be made new. And we will dwell with you in an Edenic state forever and ever. And we will never have to fear the darkness of night. We will never have to fear the darkness of sickness and death ever again. Because you, our Lord and our God, have deemed it so. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.